Hi, and welcome to the Boat Princess podcast. My name is Nikki Vo, and I'm your host. I am a boat owner, a marina owner, a director on the Marina Industries Association, and a huge advocate for boating. In this series, I'm sharing the stories from every nook of the boating industry with the intention of encouraging more women to join me and for more women to get behind the helm too. I want to share the experience and opportunities of boating, of the boating industry, and I want you to join me as I bring the conversations and answer all the questions you've had. Boating is not just for the glamorous and rich and famous. It's full of beautiful and interesting people making the most of our natural environment and getting out there, enjoying the waterways. So let's set off the lines, take over the helm and escape to the world of boating. Welcome to the Boat Princess podcast. I am a little bit more relaxed than usual today because the very lovely Kay Cotty has uh, entertained us with a glass of wine and some delicious prawns at her spectacular property overlooking the river, which is one of the most peaceful places I think I have ever been to. It's just delightful. So we're here to talk to Kay today, not about what she's done. We all know what she's done. She's sailed around the world unassisted and was the first woman in the world to do that. We know she did that, but I want to know why she did that and who, what sort of person does that? <laughs> um, so that's what we're going to ask her and we're going to have a good chat with the real Kay. And she's a friend of mine and the very first time I met her, I will never forget how much I enjoyed her company. She was, um, she had a beautiful energy to her, okay? But I really enjoyed being with. So I'm, I'm really excited to be here today to chat to you, Kay, because, well, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> I was just trying to frame something to say, how do I get around that, <laughs> that introduction? <laughs> So I, I, I'm just me. <laughs> I don't know. Some people think I, I put off a different energy. Oh, no. They think I'm standoffish. Oh, see, I didn't get that from you at all. Mm, no, I'm relaxed with people I sort of trust. Trust and feel okay with. And um, um, a very good friend of mine said she's put it down to the fact that basically departed I am shy okay and a lot of people probably wouldn't realize that so when people start heaping praise on me or they rush up to me in places and want to shake my hand or whatever and I react a bit well, a lot standoffish really yeah it's um I get embarrassed and I just want to sort of run away because you are actually a very humble person well, no, you are. I'm humble. <laughs> you are. No, you are. As a friend of yours, you are a humble, con considering what you've achieved and what you've done and who you are, you're an incredibly humble person. Yeah, I don't think um, achieving something or doing something should change someone's, what well, does, I've seen it, but it shouldn't change someone's basic persona, I guess. It's a word. It's interesting yeah. you say that you're shy because... 
I would have assumed because you are, and so many other people would, because you've done something as brave as you did, that you're actually a very confident person. Confident in what I'm doing, yes. But sharing it with the world was a different thing. And it took a lot of courage to um, become a public speaker, which I did for many years, actually, all over the world. I was um, a motivational speaker. And uh, I remember the first talk I ever did, I thought I was going to die from from nerves, embarrassment and everything else. And uh, it was my husband. It wasn't my husband at the time, but he said to me, you know, all you've got to remember is you're telling a story. That's all you're going to do. And that's all my talks have ever been. I just tell a story. And um, and he said, they're not going to come and attack you. They're not going to say that you're not trying to explain brain surgery or something like that. You know nothing about. You're talking about something that you know about and something you did. So just tell a story. And that got me over the nerves of public speaking. I love that. That's great. So tell me, you decided to sail around the world. Uh-huh. Why? Um, because I figured I could do it. And um, I just wanted to challenge myself, really. It's a hell of a challenge, girl. You know, some of us just go and walk up a mount, you know, walk up a hill and go, ooh, I did the hill. Well, it's <laughs> what I did, I was a short-handed sailor, so yeah. I'd done uh, two-handed to New Zealand and a single-handed back and a few other bits and bobs. And, um, and I guess sailing around the world was like the highest mountain to climb in my sport. Yeah. And because I'd had charter business, I was a boat builder, started playing with boats and wood when I was about 11 or 12. And um, and then I had a charter business for six years and I used to do all the maintenance, fix everything. And so I figured I could do it if I had the right boat. Wow, that's amazing. So how did you feel when you left for that journey? Well, I was nervous, obviously. <laughs> I'm not totally fearless, but I was I was nervous because I'd never been in the Southern Ocean before. Yeah. Um, and also I hadn't been away from home for long, a long time before. The longest was probably... Um, two weeks or even less than that when I, 10 days when I crossed New Zealand to Mooloolaba single-handed. Um, so I wasn't going to see anybody, but I was pretty relaxed about that. I had a lot of hobbies and things like that on board that uh, would keep me amused if I needed it. Not that I had a lot of time for them, but. Yeah, I was going to say, how did you mentally, how, did you have any sort of rituals or things you did to keep yourself mentally okay during that whole because you were out there what for 189 days something like that Mm. how did you keep yourself mentally I don't know it's just um I read books Mm -hmm. um 
I never ate out of a can. Oh, okay. I never went to the loo in a bucket. <laughs> I made sure even if the boat was nearly upside down, I always had a boat bath every day. Oh, I tell a few, some days it was so rough. Yeah. I couldn't do anything for a few days, but I always regularly changed my clothes, did the normal things, put lipstick on every time I had a bath. Oh, I love that. That's fantastic. That's beautiful. <laughs> Even my friends now, I crossed an ocean with some friends um, well, a couple of years ago. And when we got off the boat, one of them made the go, and it was, there were seven guys on board and, and myself, and I said, oh, look, I'll go as cook. And funny thing, when we got back, one of them said, you put makeup on every day. And I scratched my hand and I said, I don't wear makeup. I don't wear, and then I tweaked. I said, oh, I put lipstick on because I just do. Um, and it also acts as a bit of sunblock. And then I realised what he was considering was makeup was tinted blockout. Right. I was covering myself in blockout. And he thought I was putting liquid makeup on and, and eye makeup <laughs> and stuff on in the middle of the ocean. No, I don't go that far. <laughs> <laughs> I must admit, I went into. Uh into giving birth in full makeup. Oh. <laughs> it's kind of important to me. Way to go. Yeah. Yeah. It's important for me yeah. to have my lipstick on. Yeah. And I still do it to this day. Yeah. I love it. And then when you came into Sydney Harbour, obviously there's thousands of people waiting there to see you arrive and, mm. I mean, that's nice that some people turned up in the first place, right? But how did that feel as you entered the harbour and you saw that for you? Um, well, I guess I was embarrassed and I didn't think. I think there's – they had a cameraman – they put a cameraman on board my boat after I crossed the finish line and um, there's a fairly well-known bit of footage, I guess you'd say, of um, I was standing up the front and I had a girlfriend standing next to me and I turned around and I said to her, and I didn't know the camera was going, and I said to her, what are all these people doing in Darling Harbour today? <laughs> and she just looked at me and <laughs> frowned and said, they're here for you, you idiot. <laughs> and I just burst into tears and said, what do I do? And she just said, wave, just keep waving. Just smile and wave, boys, just, just smile, smile and wave. And that's what I did. <laughs> But uh, unbeknownst to everybody, I was um, very embarrassed. Wow. See, that's um, – and see, the media would have – yeah, it's so so sometimes how you behave in public and how people see you is because of that rather than who you really are because I know you are a very warm, lovely person. It's whereas kind of you. No, yeah. <laughs> My husband wouldn't agree all the time. <laughs> Well, my husband would. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but he's gorgeous too. <laughs> um, that's, that's really interesting because the media can portray us as something we're completely different to what we are, can't they? Just because of how you react to different things. Situations, yeah. Yeah. Why did you, did you think this was going to be the first woman to ever do that and did you do it for that purpose? That's why I did it. Well, yes, I knew I was going to be the first woman, if I finished it, um, I had heard 
Well, 10 years previously, a woman called Naomi James attempted to do it, but she had to stop. And it took me that many years. I kept thinking at the back of my mind all those years that I could do that. Um, And I was really trying to get it together and do it before some other country did it. Mm. And I heard before I left there was an American woman apparently getting prepped to do something or thinking about doing that sort of thing. So um, so you did it for your country? I did it for three reasons. I did it for me. It was the highest mountain, as I said, in my sport. Um, I did it for Australia to get the first. And I also wanted to raise money for children. So that was another major bonus because Marcus was into that sort of thing too. So when we linked up, that was Marcus Blackmore actually, um, when we linked up and and they took on the sponsorship, we raised funds for something that was very dear to his heart, which was life education. Mm. And uh, we were going to raise a million dollars because people were supposed to put in so much a mile or whatever and not many people thought I'd come back really, truth be known. And so we thought we'd get a million dollars. We had big ideas. Yeah. And have a million dollars in a kitty when I got back. Well, there was only 32,000 there when I got back. Um, and, and did that change once people have realised you'd achieved it? Or Well, it changed because Blackmore's continued to sponsor me and I did a, a fundraising tour ah. and I spoke to every, they had to raise, I think, starting off a minimum of two and a half thousand, then it went up to. 4,000 I had to raise and I spoke at every Rotary Santa <laughs> quota what else is it everything, Lions clubs, you name it surf clubs sports clubs and um, which for you as a shy person was really hard to do it was hard to do and uh, I usually had um, was that harder than the sale to you? Oh absolutely well, my whole life had changed. I mean, put me on a boat. Yeah. It's, no, these days I haven't been sailing for a bit. Put me on a boat and I can, well, first lady, I could sail it backwards. I could do whatever I liked with it. Yeah. And I was happy and I could fix anything. Um, it's. It was an incredibly, at times, moving experience that people thought that and felt that about what I did. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I just did it too, basically, for myself, for Australia to get the first and to raise money. And and that's um, that's the crux of it, really. Yeah. <laughs> so I was going to ask you, when, when I, before I got here, um, that moment when you came to Sydney Harbour, whether that... That day, the 5th of June, which was the day that you came back into Sydney Harbour, is a special day for you. But now that I've spoken to you, that wasn't a moment of elation for you necessarily. Am I right? You're right. Yeah. Mm. I actually didn't want to come back in. I think I wrote about that in my book. I I thought seriously about um, I had no food left on board. I thought seriously about continuing to sail, like a chap called Mortessier did years ago. He he was in the first um, 
20 years before I went on, um, 20, yes, 20 years before I left. He was in um, the first round-the-world race with men, with um, Robert Knox Johnson and people like that, and he possibly would have, probably would have won it if he had have gone to the fishing finishing line, but he actually just kept going and sailed halfway around the world again. Is that right? And uh, I could definitely understand why he did that because I started sailing the boat alone on a 37-foot yacht. Yeah. And after being out there so long by myself, I, I finished the trip on an ocean not on a little boat. I was, it's hard to describe. The world was very little when I left, mm. confined to the 37-foot yacht. But by the time I was coming up the coast, I didn't want to leave the ocean. That became my world. It became, became home. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to try and delve into the person that is Kay Cotty because there are a lot of women out there that um, would look upon what you've done as incredibly great. I know I do look upon what you've done as incredibly brave. So where do you think that character trait, was this? There was there another woman in your childhood or was, there, was this somebody that gave you Apart from yourself, obviously you've got to build it yourself to a certain extent, but is this somebody that gave you that confidence in yourself that you can do stuff? Um, well, I was the youngest of four daughters and my mother, because my father was off sailing all the time, my mother did everything. Um, and I guess we were raised to believe that it's not a man's world or a woman's world, it's anybody's world. Oh, um, I love that. Mm. And I had to, um, when I was building boats and running my charter business, I had no one else to re rely on to do all that. I worked with a great girlfriend. We worked together for years, Fredo, Shirley King, her name was. Fredo, I called it because we used to eat Fredo frogs all the time. <laughs> um, and we had a great time. But in lots of ways it was us, not against the boys at the marina, the, the shipwrights and the engineers mainly used to look down on us and treat us with a bit of scorn. And uh, that wasn't impressive. And uh, the guy that owned the marina used to just, um, same thing, treat us with, well, not necessarily contempt, but oh, whatever. Mm. Do you um, think shipwrights and mechanics still do that to women or do you think 
Um, they have got sometimes a bit I do. Than I that. think I think they've got a lot better because uh, ten years after I got back, I well, it was more than ten years. Twelve years after I got back, I started building yachts, and um, it was funny because people would come to the factory, and like when I had the charter business all those years ago, the guy'd come in and ask to charter a boat and I'd fill out all the paperwork and everything and he'd say, who's going to show me how to operate it? And I said, well, I'm going to do that. And then they'd say, well, no, I don't think so. Who else can I speak to? And I said, me. No, I'd like to speak to the boss, please. And I'd say, well, you're looking at her. And I used to add on, and I built the boats as well. So... Do you want to go sailing or not? <laughs> so I developed a bit of an attitude there, I think, because I was put down so much. And and once when I was actually taking a group, two families out on a sail for the day at one of my charter boats, and one of the chaps or the chap that had chartered the boat was sailing back towards the marina, and he sort of snapped his fingers at me and said, Kay, go and make us a cup of tea. And I said, I'm sorry, you hired a skipper, not a maid. I mean, if if that had been nice about it, I would have fallen over myself to make them a cup of tea. Yeah. Because that's what I do. Yes. You know? Um, When people arrogant and treat me like that, I... Don't like it. So when I was building boats, the people, that, um, the reps and the different equipment manufacturers had come to the factory and want to talk to the, I had a foreman who was um, in charge of the factory building the boats and things and, and um, they'd want to speak to him and they used to almost put their back to me who'd be standing beside him and I'd ask a question and they'd sort of look at me like, well, what have you got to do with this? So it was the people that I was with, like whether it was, in one case it was an electrical guy and we're talking to someone who made battery charges and he the guy, my electrical guy, said, oh, I'll put Kay on the phone. She'll explain it. And the guy must have questioned this chap I knew and said, well, what are you going to put a woman on the phone for, you know? You, you'd know more than that. And I just remember laughing as I heard this guy, the chap I knew, say, she designed the boat. She built the boat. She knows the boat. She knows it a lot better than I do. And he handed me the phone. Well, the guy still really didn't want to talk to me. <laughs> it's quite bizarre. It well, is that quite was bizarre, then, isn't it? but it is changing now. It is changing. I think it's a lot. It's not just due to the women in the industry now. I think it's a lot. A lot of the guys are so supportive of the women in the industry. And guys like that electrical guy. Yes. I've had exactly the same thing to happen to me when I was selling boats. Yeah. In that 
the dealer principal I was working with, somebody, a, a client would come in that was looking at a boat and he'd be very dismissive to yes. me. Yep. And then I would walk, I would often walk purposely out of the room and then the dealer principal would, he, he had a great little way of treating the clients in that he'd say, I think I need to tell you who she is. She owns this marina. So you need to start treating her with respect. Otherwise, I'm going to ask you to leave. Oh, yep. And then when I came back in the room, the attitude was completely different. Yeah, it's amazing. So we have is, to do that. I know, but we still have to, have to have do that now. Justify. Yeah, I still, mm. I still occasionally have to justify myself. Yeah. You know, I was serving fuel at our marina. Yeah. Only a couple of months ago. And this guy with this big motorboat chatting and I'm standing because the, the dock hands was busy doing something else, so I just said, oh, I'll put the fuel in the boat. Mm. So I'm standing there and he's making conversation and said, so this what you do all the time? I said, no, not all the time. Hmm. No, very, very dismissive. Mm. Like, and um, he said something else. I can't remember what it was. And then he said, uh, "Well, what do you do?" And I said, "I actually own the marina, and I build boats." And he went, "Oh." And there was a swear word there, starting with <laughs> F. And he said, now I know who you are. I'm terribly sorry. There you go. <laughs> so I yeah. don't say it often. Yes. But I do, when people are being particularly arrogant, Yeah. I do drop my name. Yes. Yes. And, I, and I, that's I what I loved about that guy doing it for me because I don't like to say I own my name. You shouldn't I shouldn't have, to, have to say that. You shouldn't right? have to. So um, I just like to. That's why I used to like him backing it up for me as well. And, and yeah. I think have, guys having your back is. Yes, that is, is nice. But ninety nine out of a hundred, I have to back myself. Really. Mm. Mm. And ninety nine, not ninety nine, maybe fifty percent of the time, I really couldn't be bothered mm. with people. That treat other people like that without mm. having any sort of respect for anybody, mm. whether it is the dock person that fills fuel all day or mm. or sweeps the slipway or whatever. I mm. do it all mm. and clean the toilets and mm. things like mm. that. Whatever needs doing, I'll do it. But I don't. Uh, I don't take kindly to people that think they're a cut above anybody else. Mm. Doesn't matter what they are or who they are. Mm. Or what they've done. And I think that's a strength of character that um, is part of women that get on with stuff, isn't it? That we don't probably take that from people, as it were. No. Mm. Mm. Interesting conversation. So... Why did you buy a marina? 
was my husband's idea. <laughs> and why Yamba? Well, Yamba was somewhere I'd always wanted to come back to after spending one night here when I was 18. Um, and we, I came to Yamba to build boats and um, just get out of the city, really. I lived in a fabulous spot in Newport on the water. Um, and it was a private spot and had the thing I loved most about the house was it had giant big metal gates. And when you pushed the button, they closed and went clang. <laughs> and to me, that was shutting out the world and I just loved it. So I, um, I came up here to be more of a private person. Yeah. And um, it's funny, when I, I said I finished the voyage on an ocean, I finished the voyage a different person in everybody's eyes but my own. Is that right? I finished the voyage as a public person. Right. And my boat and and I appeared to be public property and I found that. That would have been hard for you. That was quite hard. Yeah. Most people were just delightful yeah. and lovely, but I just like being private. Yeah. Well, it's been lovely to have you listen out there, folks. I really appreciate your ears. And um, if you'd like to get in contact, just follow me on Instagram at The Boat Princess and perhaps leave me a comment on today's picture of our podcast so that we can get an idea of what you thought about it. That'd be lovely. Take care and we'll see you on the water soon. Now you can also find more published stories about Kay by clicking on the links in our show notes. From her time with the National Maritime Museum and the oil painting by Pamela Thorburn Ball that was gifted to the National Portrait Gallery in 1999.